Hi. Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm Christina Pajitsky. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am a comedian who studied philosophy in college. So those are two very useless things that I have put together into one very useful podcast that I hope you enjoy and I hope enriches your life in some way and maybe helps you. I don't know. A um, little bit of business. If you would like to help That's Deep Bro uh, by giving us some dough, if you shop on Amazon, which you should anyways for all your life's needs, like seriously, why even leave the house when you can get like dishwashing detergent shipped to your home or things like uh, dog food, which I have a dog and I... I hate shopping for that crap, but I do it on Amazon. If you go through my banner on my website, that's deeprowpodcast.com, you click on that, you do your shopping like you normally would. It seriously uh, helps me out in a major, major way. Also, if you don't know, I have another podcast called Your Mom's House, which is just a comedy one. No philosophy. It's about very important things like uh, making brown, wearing jeans, um, and it's, you know, it's about homeless guys taking it in their buttholes, stuff like that, stuff that's really important, equally important to philosophy. If you'd like to see me do stand-up, I do stand-up all over the world, all over the world. My dates are on christinacomedy.com. I'll be in Toledo November 20, November 20th to 23rd. Why can't I talk today? Anyways, today's theme is happiness. Happiness. And I chose... Uh, Greg Fitzsimmons to be my guest today because let's face it, he's not known for being very happy, which I think is hilarious. And uh, and who better to know about happiness than the person who knows its opposite very well? Because I, I do think to some extent you got to know one to know the other, right? Darkness and the light, it's all part of one. So we go through this and here's, I, I, you don't know this, but I, I record these episodes like months and months um, in, in advance, just so that I have a bunch of episodes ready to go because I travel a lot and I do my other podcast from mom's house. And I always want to make sure that I, I drop these episodes in a timely fashion. So I've had time to think about the topic of happiness since Greg was in here and since we talked about it. And um, my perspective has changed just a little bit. I, uh, I, I don't think that happiness is a great goal all the time to have because Let's face it, who the hell can be happy all the time? It's a little it's a little bizarro. And I, I think that is a very Western thing to want to be ecstatically happy. Everything's awesome all the time, right? We live in a sitcom world. We drink our Coca-Cola. We're at McDonald's. We're just loving it. Um, that's not really the way to be because it's not sustainable. It's not realistic. I think that my goal anyways on a day-to-day basis is to maintain my peace. I think peace of mind is a wonderful goal. And, you know, you can achieve that through all kinds of paths. I choose meditation. I choose to stay uh, conscious and stay present and all that, you know, hippy dippy stuff. But it kind of works. You know, I made fun of these people for years, <laughs> these whack jobs that meditate and, you know, read new age books. But hey, I ended up being one of them. What do you know? So in this episode, Greg and I discuss things like uh, money. Can money buy happiness? You know, I'm under the impression that it can. Hello, if you've grown up without it, believe me. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You like that money. But I don't know. It's not It's not permanent. Also, uh, hey, are poor people necessarily happier? That seems to be a myth that's, that's around. 
Greg and I discussed that. What about doing things? How about doing stuff? Is that the key to happiness? Accomplishments, uh, building up your self-esteem, your sense of worth, your sense of purpose. Will that make you happy? Why are the Germans such bummers? Have we discussed that? The German philosophers? Jeez, we talk about that in this episode. And we also talk about are some people genetically predisposed to happiness? Uh, so you know, there's just people that you know in life and you're like, how is that fool always happy? They're just always that way, no matter what. Is that a genetic thing? Is that a choice? Um, and are happy people stupid? We talk about that in this episode. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think happy people are stupid. I think, uh, I think we're all stupid. How about that? (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Well, anyways, uh, enjoy this episode with my fantastic guest, Greg Fitzsimmons. And, um, yeah, we'll talk next time. Okay. Goodbye. Yeah, no, you lead and I'll follow. Okay, good. I won't take over like last time. No, you did. Oh, that was the best. That was the best episode ever of your mom's house. Okay, here we go. Welcome to That's Deep Bro podcast. I'm Christina Pajitsky. I'm here today with Greg Fitzsimmons. You might know him as a stand-up comedian. Uh, He's got a one-hour special out on Netflix. And what's it called? Life? Life on stage. Not live on stage. Life on stage. I like that because that is the nature of stand-up comedy, isn't it? Good stand-up anyways in my opinion. I'm not going anywhere. Is that you? Staying up there. Um, All right. That's Deep Bro Podcast. Don't worry. It's only cocktail uh, party level philosophy. It's basically, you know, serious questions with really silly people. And today, my subject is happiness. Um, We played the Pharrell song at the top. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) I was dancing. Is Is that your jam? Are you huge? I, it does absolutely make me happy. I mean, it's like one of those summer songs that, yeah. um, you know, like uh, Andre 3000. Oh, yeah. What was that song? Hey, uh, yeah. See how yeah, I sing I mean, it just like him? It, that never fails to make me feel good. I know. And I, so I thought of this topic, especially for you, because um, this song was stuck in my head over the weekend in Hartford. And it got to the point where it, descended into misery like the song over and over the happy and it got so obnoxious that now i fucking hate the song you mean you kept playing it for yourself in my head oh just in your head yeah because i'm happy and Mm. i i was like oh this is bad and there's a line in there um where he says clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth now don't you don't say that to someone who studied philosophy because 
I hear capital T truth, right? Like, oh, happiness is the absolute reality is what I hear as a philosophy nerd. And um, there seems to be a real premium on happiness in our culture in general, right? Like that's what advertising is based on. Have a Coke and a smile. If you buy Miller, you're going to have cool friends. You're going to get laid. Your life is going to be fantastic. Um, So today's podcast is about happiness. What is it? Um, What is it? Well, I guess it's a state, right? Elation, joy, the Pharrell song. And then on the other hand, from a philosophical perspective, it's really about how to lead a life that's most conducive to happiness, to long-term happiness. But I picked you for this topic (laughs) because as is public knowledge, I know you talk about this, you've You've had battles with depression. Sure. For how long, would you say? Started when you started the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> as soon as yeah. I saw you at the door, yeah. I just fucking sunk. Uh, Everything seemed bleak. Yeah. No, it's, I have uh, that effect It started, on that. Uh, you know, it's, I think as long as any memory I can possibly have, it was pulling away, going somewhere to be alone. Yeah. Under, there was a table in our family room that I used to climb under. Because I like to feel like I was in a compartment and nobody could go near me and I mm-hmm. didn't have to pretend to be happy. Oh, that's interesting. I needed a relief from having to pretend I had the same emotions as everybody else. And so what is your day-to-day emotion, would you say? Where, where are we? I, I'm pretty tied to the time of day. I wake up extremely groggy and I go into just, mm-hmm. you know, coffee, yes. bagel, yeah. Check the email. Like so, I get through. There's no. There's no human emotion until really like ten, ten o'clock a- p.m. A.M. Okay, and then a lot of times I'll do a podcast at like eleven a.m. Somebody will come over, and that kind of gives me something to work towards in the morning, stay focused, mm-hmm. and uh, get myself emotionally to a place where I can engage with a human and lead a podcast and <laughs> do my work, do a little research and. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love days when I do the podcast. When I don't, then um, it can, I can really look up and it's six o'clock and I'm in my pajamas and I didn't leave the house and I have no idea what I just did. Mm-hmm. So I have an office that's literally like three blocks from my house that's about the size of your office. Mm-hmm. And it's just a place, it's got windows, lots of light. And I just sit there and I do the things I would not do at home. I just, deal with emails. If I have writing projects, I do them. It's got a big overstuffed couch with an, with an ottoman, and um, I sleep uh, after I masturbate, and mm-hmm. then um, I can... It's my husband's regiment, too. Right. Sorry, I'm just checking. But you can't... But yeah, so happiness really... And then, you know, I crash out around 5, 5.30 every day. It's, it's really, really hard. And I, I try to regulate my carbs and my caffeine, and I try to nail it. So if I have a show that night, I can transition back into being, uh, you know, productive mm-hmm. and engaging with people. It's a struggle. I mean, I really negotiate my uh, happiness hour to hour. Yeah, I, uh, I, I have had depression too, and I feel like I, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm always dealing with the howling in the head you know Mm. the demons that i deal with that i go see a psychotherapist for once a week and i i tend to alienate too especially on the road it's very bad for me it's very hard because i'm not isolate i isolate yes isolate 
Yeah, I like to, that's my natural tendency because I grew up an only child mm. and a lot of my childhood was spent hiding from my crazy mother. So m- most of my time was spent listening to records that I really liked over and over again or stories that I liked and, uh, and just hiding from people. Well, that's <laughs> why happiness is, is interesting because I, yeah. it, it really is, I don't, I don't aim for happiness anymore because it's fleeting and there it's almost scary to me because you're vulnerable when you're happy. Because comes the, the crash, right? If I'm this happy, then I'm going to have to suffer because it's going to end, right? Yeah, so it's like mania. You'll give up one end to give right. up the other end. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm meeting some friends tonight from college, and that's about as happy as I get. I mean, I really get happy when I'm around these people. Because you're making real connections. At least that's what my shrink would say. This yeah, is, well, it was is, the first time, like, you know, you, you actually aggregate people around you that you care about and have things in common i mean if you grow up wherever you grow up you're stuck with those idiots yeah and they're great friends too still some of my best friends yeah but there's a there's a closeness that comes in college because you have thousands of people to choose from Mm -hmm. and after four years you've got it narrowed down to about 15 of them that you're going to stay in touch with and i'm going to see about seven of those people tonight so i'm very happy that's see that's see that's great now this is why I had you on the show, because uh, there's also a theory in psychology and philosophy that says to know one thing, you must know its opposite. For instance, I mean, I'm not sure I completely 100% agree with the argument. You know, like, I, I know that I don't like being lit on fire. And I know that just by imagining it, I don't have to have been lit on fire to know that I like the absence of being lit on fire. But I don't know. Is is it true? I mean, do you do you think you can know happiness more if you've experienced? The, the well, there was an article in the Sunday Times this week about that exact thing, and it says that you know the way they're looking at happiness now is that it's not a pole. It's not diametrically opposed. It's mm. actually two different dynamics. One is happiness. One is unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And they you have a you have a capacity for each that's not. Uh, relying on the other. You can feel happiness mm-hmm. and you're going to feel unhappiness. And what you have to try to do is have more happiness than you have unhappiness. But having one doesn't take away from the other. Right. It's, it's not, not they're not or, opposites. Right, right. I see. And you have to approach them each on their own terms and say, unhappiness to me is. When I'm in a situation where I'm isolating, which we just talked about yeah. going on the road, puts you in that situation. You want to avoid um, you know, going into an area that's going to bring about being alone, um, not having contact with friends, not eating healthy foods, not exercising. Yeah, it's and fucking worse. Right, so, so those things it. help you avoid... Unha- it brings your unhappiness down when you uh, are able to do those things that bring you some some peace and some solace. So then happiness is a whole other thing where, you know, you go out and like stand-up is pure happiness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, giving somebody, being charitable is as close to happiness as most human beings can get. You will not lose if you give to people. Yeah, that's interesting. There's this guy. Speaking of which, is there swag with this interview? <laughs> swag? Like a DVD? Oh, a cup? yeah. Look at all these t shirts right, behind good, me. You can good. have any one of them. This can make you feel really good when you give me I that have stuff. Double XL. Is that your size? No, I'm small. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that idea of selflessness. It's a way to get out of your own ego, to get out of your own bullshit, essentially. Um, 
Yeah, Heidegger said that the meaning of being is located in care. Like we we lend our care, our attention to something else, and it really takes you outside of your own bullshit. Mm. And it's the extension of you that helps. Um, well, that's kind of what stand up is, isn't it? You're on stage way, yeah. and you are you're giving to the audience, right? And you're actually caring about how they're feeling. Yes, and and it's a dialogue. It's a give and take. You're connecting with people without really having to have the intimacy of a real conversation. It's which a very is safe way to, yeah. <laughs> which right. just feels just great for someone who loves to isolate. You know, mm-hmm. it's oh, it's just that sweet spot. Um, and plus, there's adoration and fans, and people tell you how great you are every few seconds with their laughter and applause. It's yeah, I Great. guess those are two very different things, aren't they? I mean, because <laughs> like uh, the other thing this article talked about is that the three things that are traps are fame, mm-hmm. material goods, and sex mm. with multiple partners. Mm. That you know, going out and you know, conquering a lot of people of the other uh, of the opposite sex. Who said this? I forget who wrote this article, but it's in the Sunday Times, and I actually clipped it out to bring to you because of this topic, and I forgot to, but. Um, but you know what we what we do for a living is really tricky because your your sense of self has to rely on how people are receiving you on a yes. regular basis. And yes. he says that's like the worst thing you can get because it's 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 external. It's not internal. Yeah, and that's what I work on with my shrink is internal validation. Mm. <laughs> um, Yes. Does that mean when you masturbate, you go inside <laughs> instead of clitoral? That's, yes, exactly. Right. Thank you. Um, so I have some other ideas on happiness to share with you. And this this kind of stuck in my head. Um, I, I don't know if you listen to Adam Carolla at all. Going on there tomorrow. Oh, well, great. Tell him we talked about him. Okay. Because I really, there's something he said that really stuck in my head for the last like two months. He says, there's no such thing as happiness. And forgive me, this is not like a quote, quote, direct quote, but this is the idea. There's no such thing as like happiness, okay? You're not just going from like fleeting joy to feeling joy. But what you have is a sat- the satisfaction of a job well done, right? And I and I, I kind of agree with that. It's a very masculine perspective of the world. Like it's this idea that in doing in you know putting myself in the world and doing something well, I have a sense of satisfaction, and I kind of agree with that because um, the pursuit of happiness in and of itself it's kind of dopey, right? Like you can't actually just pursue happiness all day, like Oprah Winfrey says. I love oh, Oprah. I love wow. Oprah. Don't judge me. Okay. Well, you know, Carol and Oprah doing a show together. No, they're not. Imagine what is that. it called? Fix my. Carpenter, get that Mexican out of here. Get that Mexican back in here. <laughs> I love that. I haven't seen that show. I love it. Um, but she always says that that's what people say the most. I just want to be happy. Like, what do you want out of life? I just want to be happy is the answer that people always say. But is that necessarily the thing to pursue? You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you know, what makes me happy is to sit on the beach and eat a lot of tacos and drink a lot of beer and get really, really fat. But obviously, that's not the way to live life. So is happiness truly the truth? Is it really the thing we should all be moving towards? Or is there something else? Is there just a sense of like satisfaction or maybe contentment? I like, like, I like the idea of just contentment. I don't really like to get too high or too low because A, I can't handle it. And uh, B, I I don't, I don't know if life has to go up and down Mm. all the time. I'm not sure that that's like healthy. And I think as Westerners, we're led to believe that life should be hunky-dory all the time. Mm. You know, it's that idea that at one time there was this Garden of Eden, and now we're 
something bad happened and now we have to get back to this state of perfection. Whereas like in the East, people just think, yeah, it shit happens all the time. Life is a consistent shit, shit build, you know, and you just kind of Well, what's sad is that I think culturally happiness for us, for the masses, is escape. You don't like your job. Happiness is the weekend. You don't like to deal with things. Happiness is drinking. Happiness is getting high. Happiness is an escape from what life really is. So if you're... Like Carolla said, to quote Adam Carolla, like if you're, if you're involved, if your work is a process that brings you satisfaction, I think satisfaction is probably a much healthier uh, goal than happiness because happiness is sort of like, um, it's almost a byproduct of satisfaction with a job well done or intimacy with a partner that you've put work into. Um, it, it sneaks in in odd moments and, and that, to me, it seems like real happiness can come at any time and you're not really expecting it. But uh, I don't know that you can shoot for it any more than somebody who comes to Hollywood and they want to be famous. Right. And you go, for what? I don't, you know, look at the Kardashians. I want that. I want to be in the VIP room. I want to have a nice <laughs> car. I want people to want my autograph. They want fame, which is like, it's the same thing as happiness. It's, right. it's, it's fleeting. Right. You can't control it. And, uh, and it's... You're going to crash. Things are bad right after it. Yeah, because I find that what I think will make me happy, like I go, oh, if I could just get that uh, TV show, then Mm. I'm going to be happy. If I could just get that agent or that book, that thing, then I'll give myself permission to be happy. And that there's a book called Happiness by this guy that teaches a course at, at Harvard. Yes, you know that guy? Wait, I'm thinking. I have, I have this other book that I will reference. Well, yes. this is the class at Harvard. It's the most attended right. class at Harvard University. Okay, I saw this guy on like a TED Talk or some yeah. shit. Yeah, he's really you know academic about it. He gets into the cross-cultural happiness. And there, he, they did a documentary about it on, you can see on Netflix. I think it's called Happiness. And he talks to this guy who's a rickshaw driver in India, and he lives in a fucking, like, piece of tarp over some sticks in a junkyard with his family and the guy swears he's happy and do you believe that do you really think if you watch this you will believe that this guy when he comes home and his son is waiting for him and he sees him and he he enjoys talking to people you know like for him it's being engaged in something and being able to provide for his family and whatever somebody ought to tell this guy he's not doing a very good job (laughs) he shouldn't be happy you know hey dad why don't you fucking come down from that high so we can get a real house how about how about raise your sights for happiness a little higher dad because that that is my biggest fear is is material poverty i i grew up lower middle class i know what it's like to not have shit and guess what it fucking sucks but this guy will tell you that about 20 percent above the poverty rate is the point at which more money does not make you happier and i've read that in many studies that more money over i mean some people say 70 grand a year 40 grand whatever it is like sub six figures will make you happier than more than that, or at least it won't add to your happiness if you make more. But think of what you give up to go to that stratosphere yes. of making money. You give up a lot of happiness. I mean, I look at people that work 12-hour days, six days a week, and I, and I look at them like, motherfucker, you could work half as much and still be in a nice house with a car right. and pay for college. What, what are you afraid of? That's, and that's it, man. 
what are you afraid of? Because I'm convinced money will solve my problems. I'm convinced if I have enough money, I'll finally feel safe in the world and my, my mother will never love me the way I want her to. <laughs> but but I, I have a feeling that there's, there is a dollar sign like, oh, now, now I will be safe. And I hear what you're saying, but I just like, I can't believe it. And, and what you're talking about, about what if I'm not constantly working, then what happens? There's, there's your head to deal with, right? Well, that's different than money. Working and money are... Yeah, I know. Because if you just wanted money, you would uh, probably work a different job than what you're doing. I know. Is it too late to change careers? No. (laughs) What would you do? What would make you happier? Nothing. That's the thing. Truthfully, you know what I want to do? Then you're ahead of 97% (laughs) of the country. I don't want to do anything. Like when I think about it, I don't like doing stuff. And I mm-hmm. know that when I was a little girl, people were like, "What do you want to be?" I'm like, "Not nothing. Retired. This is it." Yeah, I can't wait to retire. <laughs> Me too. This is kind of it. Like what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more than this. You're just gonna fucking die anyways, and none of it really matters. Like, yeah, look, you know what Seinfeld who is doing? Cares a podcast. <laughs> He does it's like we want to do exactly what we're doing. The money would not make a difference as long as I got a car to get me there. And I, I mean, I really worry because I have two kids I got to put through college. So I've yeah. saved a lot for that. And I feel like when they're through college, I'm not that concerned after that. I think me and my wife could be very happy living a really simple life. We own a house. We could move back into it'll be paid off by then. I got my Writer's Guild pension. I got my Social oh, Security. Well, and I'll set. fucking live a very simple life with my wife. I don't give a shit. Well, you're, you're miles ahead of us, so that's good. Yeah, but you don't have kids. No. I know. And then how do you deal with that pressure? Holy shit. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's crazy. And you can't go back. So, no. you know, you have to, you have to step up. You know, it makes you work harder. It makes you dig in harder. Oh, I have a question for you. Okay, I've always wondered this about children. Like, what if you have the kid and you're, you know, with it, and then you're just like, I didn't want, I don't like this very much. I don't really, I don't like it. It's not like you can undo that decision. Sure you can. What do you mean? There's plenty of deadbeat dads and runaway no. moms. I mean, people, people take, or if they don't leave physically, they leave emotionally. Oh, I hear you. So you just check out emotionally. Yeah, a lot of people like check out on their kids. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you know, and and it's hard because even as good of a dad as I think I am, you know, there's times where I'm like, why am I checking my text right now? My daughter's sitting on the couch. Right. And I bet you if I pulled out some cards, we could play a game and we'd both be really happy. And then and then you do it, but you realize like there's there's a lot of opportunities to be closer to your kids and it's and you know you you don't have to talk to too many people with grown kids to know like it goes by really fast yeah life goes by really fast does it it uh yeah i'm 38 now and i'm gonna you know i feel like wow like half my shit's already almost over like i'm I'm halfway right this well is you're crazy. talking about youth not life life no i mean how long do people live longer like than they should <laughs> I mean, what do you do after the age of 70? You just get fed, you shit, you sleep, and you're a drain. I know, it's the greatest. There's not that many people that are, like, actually contributing to society or, or no. you know. I mean, I had Carl Reiner on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's 92, and he's alive, and him and Mel Brooks have dinner every night, and they watch movies, and they're, they're, they're engaged. You just put out another memoir. So, you know, there's, obviously there's older people that are still living life, but, um, you know, 
But why? Why? I, I don't care <laughs> when I die. I'm not really, you know, I want to be old enough that it's not traumatic for my kids. But, you know, I do, I did my, I've done my thing. I've worked really hard. I've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of adventures. I've uh, contributed on some level to the world. And uh, mm-hmm. when it's time, it's time. Yeah, that's true. When it's time, it's time. I feel like Westerners have a real problem with death. Mm. Like uh, Tommy and I, we used to live <laughs> in, our, in our old neighborhood in Silver Lake. There was this guy, Morty, who was like just on death's door. I mean, the guy, he didn't have any family. Nobody visited him. He just sat in a room this big with no air conditioning. And when we, we offered to buy you him. You know that you're in a room this big with no air conditioning. <laughs> no, I have air conditioning. Are you, are you too no. hot? No. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we, we like offered to buy him a wall unit and he's like, nah, forget it. Like he just, he couldn't drive anymore. Mm. His feet had swollen and they were purple and he was just housebound. And I said he to was Tommy. pulling up the stakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I said to Tom, I'm like, just, I wish this guy would just let go. Yeah. Like, just let go. And Tom was mortified that I would even suggest that death would be a good thing for somebody. And I'm like, no, like in this case, your, your quality, quality of life isn't there anymore. How many people, the, the partner dies when they're in their 80s, oh. and then the other partner dies within a few months, and it's like, motherfucker, you were holding on. It's like, you know, <laughs> no. when, you're, when you're getting a blowjob or someone's going down on you, and instead of coming, you stretch it out because it feels good. <laughs> It's unfair. I think it's the same with old people. If you if you see the yeah. light, go to the fucking go, light. Go, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Social Security's running out. I know. Why are you being so selfish? Yeah. What a piece of shit. Well, hopefully he's dead by now. Um, Morty? Morty, yeah. Hopefully, for his sake. I mean, we'd offer to buy him chicken. He wouldn't even take the chicken. He <laughs> yeah. was such an asshole. I think yeah. he was an asshole to his kids because they never came by. You know, that's a sign, like, when your kids don't come. Absolutely. I don't visit my mom. She's kind of an asshole, you know? I think that a kid under the age of six who's an asshole is not an asshole whose parents are assholes. Mm. And if you're over 80 and your kids don't visit, <laughs> they're not assholes. You're the asshole. <laughs> Absolutely. You bookend assholeness in life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man, what did you do, motherfucker? That's what I think. So, more philosophy. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, like, when I studied philosophy as an undergraduate, there wasn't a whole lot written on happiness like we studied the greeks you have like aristotle and epicurus epicure epicurus uh, a lot of people identify him with like hedonism. hedonism yeah and that's uh supposed to be not correct this is from wikipedia this is not a fancy source you guys can look it up too it says uh for epicurus the purpose of philosophy was to attain a happy tranquil life characterized by peace freedom freedom from fear the absence of pain and by living a self-sufficient life surrounded by friends. That's not bad. Peace, freedom from fear, the absence of pain, and by living a self-sufficient life surrounded by friends. Mm. That pretty much hits all the bases. And money is not necessary for any of those things. I know. Fuck. You know, if you talk about freedom, sometimes you have too much money, you're, you can't be free from it. You got people working for you and you got uh you know worries about your investments and your other house and i know like more money more problems well, right? and also you don't lean on your community in a real way you have friendships that are constructs they're not necessities you say let's all get together for dinner but you don't need that guy's food it's very different when you go to a neighbor's house for dinner because you fucking ran out of food that's <laughs> a friendship right oh right giving Right. Just for the sake of giving, like you and said. And doing it constantly. Poor people, 
you know, they take care of uh, each other's kids when, you know, one's got to leave and go do work for a few months in another state. And, you you know, the aunt watches the kids and then, you know, you, uh, you can't afford medical care. So uh, your friend gives you some, uh, some Vicodin. I oh, know that's, <laughs> that's my life. Sharing. Sharing. Right. Do, you think, do you think wealthy people don't have that sense of sharing? I think sometimes when you grew up poor, you have it for the most part. But I think if you grew up wealthy, you – there is a – I mean, I grew up with money and the people – and I, but I grew up around a lot of people without money. And most of my good friends didn't have money. They were – they. I felt more – like there was an alive friendship going on there. Hmm, interesting. It, More yeah. so than with other people that had money, like yeah. kids in your you know bracket. Yeah, I mean, I've never say. thought about this that much before, but friendships with wealthy people are nice because they have lots of stuff and they'll give you stuff because they don't actually need it all, so they come off as generous. <laughs> but really generous is when you need it and you give it to somebody. Oh, well, that's interesting. Like I remember being at my friend Brian Van Horn's house growing up, and his, he had deadbeat dad. His mom worked at the hospital long hours, and they lived on like a five-floor walk-up, no money. And we used to go over to the house, and she would make dinner for – we're all stoned. Mm-hmm. After school, we come there, we get stoned, and she comes home from work, drags her ass up the stairs, and she would make us dinner. And I didn't think about it at the time. I was too stupid at like 14 to think like, she doesn't have the money to make me food. Mm, right. But she did. Wow. And I emailed with her yesterday. No shit. Yep. Told her I loved her. Oh, Ronnie Van Horn. That's so nice. Yeah, love poor people. True. Yeah, still poor. She gets any money, I'm not fucking talking (laughs) to her. It's off. All bets are off. Yeah, it's true. I have also friends. Let me just think. One of my great friends, my best friends, grew up not super wealthy. I don't. I only have one friend that grew up uh, with a lot of money, but it was one of those things where it really didn't go to her. Like, it was the parents. Like, she got sent away to various schools and such. But there is that, I think, that kind of wealth, right? Where the kids don't really get it. Like, when they turn 18, it's not like you inherit some shit. Like yeah, but you... just think about it. Being sent away to school. Like, oh, that's what terrible. rich people do. No. Can you... I cannot imagine. My friend's... <laughs> my son's friend is going away to boarding school on the East oh. Coast. And I look at the parents. I go, your son is 13. Do you want to not see him for fucking three months? My kid just went to camp for a week, and I was losing my mind. I missed him so much. And you think about wealthy people, and a lot of them send their kids away. And if they don't, they're working long hours, and they don't see them. They've got nannies. They've got all these things that let them rationalize not being in the kids. Because the truth is, nobody (laughs) chooses to be intimate and close to their kids, and by extension, maybe their friends. But necessity nah. forces you to engage. There you go. There you go. And that leads to a happier life. Now, that's interesting. Necessity makes it that way. So is our natural inclination to be antisocial pieces of shit? Because I think you're right here. I think that I, I got to go to a really swank resort for the first time in my life like last Thanksgiving, a really swank place. I had no fucking business being there. And I, what I noticed... The improv and <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I noticed that really wealthy people, truly wealthy people, their whole thing is isolation. Like, mm-hmm. this is my fucking area. Don't even look at me. Like, you would, I would walk on a path to the beach or something, and really wealthy white people 
don't even acknowledge your existence. Mm-hmm. They don't even fucking say hello to each other. That's the hallmark of a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, if you go to a be- you go to a pool at a fancy <gasps> hotel, they have cabanas off to the back where the wealthier people sit, so right. they can be away from everybody. So is that the mark of success and wealth? I moved to a nicer neighborhood, and I don't know any of my neighbors. <laughs> I swear to God. I lived in Venice. I knew every fucking person for a block in every direction. And were you happier in Venice? Way happier. And so were my kids. My daughter, we went to, we, we still own our house, and we rent it out. And we went back there the other day, and uh, my daughter cried when she went in her old room. Because she missed it so much living there. And she was sharing a room with her brother. Wow. We had one bathroom. Wow. And we were all happier. Isn't that, you know, it's so funny. I was talking to Tommy about this when we were really poor. We got married as like feature. We were barely feature acts. And we lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Koreatown. That's the worst neighborhood. Like gunshots going off every night. We didn't mm-hmm. have, <laughs> we had no money. It's actually not the worst thing. The worst thing would be to be in Korea. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we had no money like just nothing and Mm. we weren't working as much but you know what we hung out every night we made we always ate well i went trader joe's and got you know fancy shit from trader joe's and we had fun we laughed a lot and we Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time together and now with the with our careers on the road and you know there just isn't the time for that stuff you ever have sex with a poor person they (laughs) fuck They push back because they've had a shit day. They've taken a public bus to two jobs. Is that right? They're hungry. They come home and sex is free. It's the only window to happiness they have. So they... You're right. Oh, oh, poor girl. She'll suck a cock like she's hungry. You're right. You're right. Because it's like like music that's like, yeah, bitch, I want to fuck you. Suck. That's Mm -hmm. like, you know. raw. Yeah. You know, and you think of rich people listening to classical. Oh, yeah. You know. Not even words. Take the words out. Yeah. Oh, how no, boring. It's too crass. <laughs> it's crass. Yes, and, and, and wealthy people, like I was watching this documentary about um, Jamie Johnson of the Johnson & Johnson mm-hmm. fortune, and it's the night that he inherits his money, and it goes, he, he interviews all of his super, super wealthy friends, like the Paris Hiltons of the world, and they really live in another universe. Like, They inhabit a world that we just do not comprehend. And talking about money is, you know, quote, tacky for them. And that's why they all hang out with each other in the Hamptons or what the fuck, because they can relate to each other's problem of being wealthy. Mm. Because in a way, it kind of is a social hindrance. Like, Of course it is. Yeah, it's like celebrity in in a sense, right? Yeah, I I, I think that, or, you know, I guess everybody can can look at their circumstances as a way to be isolated from the rest of the population. But I think that um, being wealthy is a specific one because you never trust that people don't have an agenda. Yeah. You know, I I think that's the, probably the worst part about getting wealthy for me. Now, when you see people (laughs) get wealthy, they really don't like, I feel weird sometimes reaching out to, I have friends that are fucking, you know, super wealthy comedians my buddy from uh, high school is uh, he's he's worth billions. Wow, he's great greatest guy in the world. But it is a little it is a little weird sometimes. And I think actually he listens to this podcast. <laughs> There's no I swear way. to God. There's no way he listens to your guys' podcast. Your and he sent house. you guys. He sent you guys a big donation. He did. Did you ever get a big donation um, from a guy? We have before. Yeah, that was That's my friend. Him? 
he emailed me and said I sent them a big. They, they weren't up. expecting it, but and I bet it was really big because his name is Frank. Okay, I'm gonna look it up. Look Do it you up. Remember when? How long ago? Probably about a year ago. I think I remember. I think that's when we were having dog problems. Oh yeah. I bet you that's when he did it. Okay. Wow. If it came in in pounds, I'm gonna write it down. That's Frank. That's pretty fucking cool. Thanks, Frank. But he's really wealthy, but I can still hang out with him, maybe because I knew him from before. Yeah. But I feel weird reaching out to some of my friends because I don't know if they think that I want something from them. Right. Right. And that's sad because that's unfair to them. They, that's, I'm putting that on them. Yeah. It's like a prejudice. Yeah, because like, it's not that they're inherently... Being wealthy doesn't make you inherently bad. No, but it can definitely make you paranoid because the truth is people do want some. People treat you. I could tell you from being, you know, as you said, we move up the chain in comedy. And I could tell you people treat me differently now than they used to. You know, comics come up and if they're not headliners, then they come up to you and they want to open for you on the road or they just want advice or they just, you know, there's a nice, healthy respect because you're doing something that they want to do at a higher level. So they just naturally act nicer to you yes yes of course so it's very weird to separate out that from just you know i try to just like take each person on if they're wealthy or if they're a younger comic i really do try to look through that but it's hard as a human i know yeah but i am i would say i'm uh i will look back on these years as probably the happiest in my life this, Since my kids were born. Oh, see, that's so nice to hear. I, yeah. Because I, um, my parents, God bless them. My father, they they did the best they could. I, but I, I always had the sense that having children was this incredible burden, and because it was such, it was hard for their immigrants, you know. And I feel like so much of their life was survival, mm. and then I was this thing that was tacked on to like survival. You know, I think Americans also view it differently than Eastern Europeans. <laughs> like Hungarians aren't really, you know, you're Hungarians being like, my child is just a blessing. And mm. I just, that's a very American. No, my child is a farmer or dead. <laughs> right, right. But it's our mouth to feed, damn it. Like, mm. it's just not the same. So it's nice to hear you say that because I'm just starting to wrap my head around that whole uh, concept of something because you also hear people being like oh it's the hardest thing you're you're ever gonna do having it's so hard well then why does it not suck if it's the hardest thing then shouldn't it by definition be the suckiest thing too yeah no the hardest thing in the world is working on intimacy in your marriage the hardest thing in the world is you know t- trusting that you can go after the dream that you want to do for a living you know they're all hard things but wh- who told you that life is supposed to that happiness comes from ease. There's no, that's where wealth comes from. Life is too easy. Mm. So you don't push yourself, you don't find out what's under the hood. I think happiness comes from challenging yourself and even in failure, looking back and saying, you know, I believe that I could try that and, and it didn't work. And, and the difference in happiness between failure and success is, is not as significant as people would think. It's more, mm. you know, I think the happiness quotient is probably bigger between having tried and having not tried. I think that's ex- that is so on the money because I have wealthy friends that I grew up with who, because they had the money, didn't have to do things. Necessity, right? Being the the, the catalyst to to trying and doing. Like I had to work. I've had to work a long t- from you know since I was like thirteen or whatever. Mm. But that forces you, thrusts you into the world, and now you have to be a person. You have to figure out who you are, what you want, and all that shit. And it does cripple people 
who don't have to do anything. Yeah, and you can get real close if you do. Slaves, they were close. They had, <laughs> Are you no, being I don't know. serious? I would, I would imagine that was pretty good friendships. <laughs> like 12 years a slave, he really, he was really, he loved that woman when he had to leave. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, because they really needed each other. They leaned on each other. I mean, yeah, he whipped her. Well, But he yeah. had to. He had to, yes, of course. Yeah. That's In so a way funny. that strengthened their it did. They're bond together. Yeah. I can't believe I'm making jokes about. How toilet. dare you? Yeah, it's so offensive. But you do know people that were poor. Like when you think back to the Greatest Generation and the, the nostalgia yeah. that they had. Like uh, like, you know, growing like up them. in Brooklyn and we were all Jewish. It's like yeah, growing up in Brooklyn, the Second World War was going on and there was rampant anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. You really didn't have money. You lived in a fucking walk-up tenement with a shared sink in the courtyard and. You wondered if you could, like, but those memories are so interesting. You listen to, like, Lauren Hill's album, The Miseducation of yeah. Lauren Hill, and she talks oh, no. about, you know, all the games that they played growing up and right. the music they listened to. And, you know, there's a closeness that people have in um, impoverished situations that, that, that has to come from that um, needing each other. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think there's definitely some validity to that. Uh I don't know. It's weird because I, maybe because my experience, like I went from being kind of a poor kid and then my mom got remarried to this guy for money. Mm-hmm. And then we had money all of a sudden, like a lot of money. Nice. And then the IRS came and took it all away because he was a criminal. Oh. Yeah. And like, How long did you have it? Um, through high school. So do you, I mean, you answer your own question. Were you happier then than before he came? I was profoundly miserable, probably more so. So why do you, why do you think that? Money no, well, will make you happy. But it was because of uh, he was a criminal and he was doing criminal activities for the money. Mm. It was that I had a, a stepsister with all kinds of problems. Like th- my mother remarried a guy that she didn't know. They met. Still had a, the money though. In a newspaper ad. Yeah. And they got married a month after knowing each other. And yeah, and she got her money and she got her handbags and she got all the furs and the cars and then they all got taken away and it was a fucking nightmare. I don't know. I know. My thinking's wrong about this. And my shrink tells me too. And I, I'm working on it. I'm fucking working on it. All right. Get off my back, right? I'm just wondering. We all have it. I don't think there's anybody. I mean, you look at people that, uh, like I was listening to the Howard Stern show today and this guy had won $100 million in the lottery mm-hmm. and he bought a jet. And he's <laughs> like, uh, you know, but I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to lease it out because, uh, you know, um, they're expensive, and and it's like you're worried about money. Like this is a, this is a guy who does not have to worry about money, and he's putting himself in a situation where he's got to like call somebody to arrange somebody to lease and do paperwork and the hassle. Yeah. Are they going to crash it? Or is it going to be calm on my seats? <laughs> like you, you don't need to do that. That's all point of having tons of money. Right. You don't have to do shit. You anymore. don't have to do shit, and so a lot of the really wealthy people they drive Volvos and they live in the same yes. home. It's a simple colonial home that's well made, mm-hmm. and they wear clothes from LL Bean and uh, and and uh, Burks Brothers. Yes, they keep it simple. They keep it quality. Oh yeah, and they don't waste a lot of energy. That's why flashy money. That's what goes I'm away. I don't want that. Here's why I want a ton of money. Truly, it's to to live to live without the hustle. Right, like. Tom and I are still at that stage in our career where it's a fucking hustle. Like you're always, we're going to get this money to do, I got to do this thing. Mm. I don't like living 
reaction. I don't like living out of fear and anxiety. And I feel like as a comic that that's all I've ever known is like, I gotta do the next thing. I gotta fucking take this gig. I just don't want to live out of that. Well, do you have a number? $20 million. No, seriously. $100 million. Do you have a number? (laughs) Um... Because it's like with gambling, you know, you can go gamble and have fun if you have a number and you walk away at it. That's what I, I do. So have you a need number a number in, in life. What is it? I do. I can't tell Three you. Million? It's private. It's private. More. Really? <laughs> That's your problem. Is that the problem? If you don't have kids, I think three million is a pretty comfortable. That's place. a good life. Yeah, because if you invest it wisely, you can you'll, you'll make one hundred and fifty grand a year just in interest without touching and the principal. And that's enough to live off. So of, what's dude. wrong? Why is your number high? Okay, you know what? I'm glad we discussed this. I'm glad I brought that up. I'm going to lower the number to three million. I like this. You're right. Because all I need is the interest. I just I just want that anxiety out of life. I don't want to think about money. I want enough money to not think about money. To just pursue dumb shit. I just don't think that... I think that will elude you. Really? I don't think that moment really happens. Fuck. You think I'll just... I'll be on the treadmill of other bullshit? Like, I'll replace it? Based on the experience of every single person (laughs) I've ever met, it just seems to be... uh, Maybe it's something that we need. You know, I mean, if money represents... I mean, the problem is is we live in a capitalistic society and a capitalistic world where we accumulate more than what we need. And so... The, the true happiness is living hand-to-mouth. And when we left that, when we became uh, capitalists, when we started to you know, take on machinery and um, you know, uh, more than we could actually... When we got a refrigerator because there was more food than you could eat that night, then we started to get distanced from the feeling of uh, taking care of ourselves. And, and then I think money just represents you know that distance and maybe mm. that's maybe that's yes. the quotient is the bigger that amount of money is the bigger the farther you are from having to actually um you know take the chance not even the chance follow the instinct of conquering and uh going after things and then the satisfaction of eating them and going to sleep that night not knowing when you wake up where the next thing's coming from, but you get so used to what you do. But but weren't our ancestors in a perpetual state of panic? Uh, then that would put well, me. Well, they were getting raped a lot. Oh my god, and naked. Yeah. Like I, I, I do you watch Naked and Afraid on Discovery? No. Oh god, I always Why think like. Why would you watch that? Because I, I love bad things. I love. Is it shitty. bad enough to be good? Of course. Okay, I'll try it. I mean, I love that. The, I always think like, oh, how does she get her period? Like, why, why do they have to make them naked? Do they have good bodies? Of course. Plus, they starve to death for three weeks. They're not eating because they're not catching shit because nobody can live on an island. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Do they have sex with each other? No. And that would make it such a better show to get impregnated, right? On this island. Yeah. I remember that I sh- there like was one that. show where they were all on, on Belize and they were all hooking up with each other. Temptation Island? Yeah. That's the best reality show? That was the show? best reality show of I've ever seen. all time. Yeah. That is one of my favorites. I was just telling... Oh, so weird. I was just telling Tom about that show. Yeah, and they tempted you with other partners to mm-hmm. see if you would break up your, your existing relationship. That's the most evil premise. It was so good. It was creating evil. Oh, so fucking great. Yeah. All right, here's another theory we have. So um, we have Epicurus, and now we have uh, Schopenhauer, a German philosopher. Are you familiar with him? No. Nietzsche's homeboy. This guy's a little darker. I don't know if you... <laughs> it's awful. Okay, ready? This is, this is Schopenhauer's view. Uh, he, again, from Wikipedia, and we're not pulling from anything too crazy, folks. 
He established a system of empirical and metaphysical pessimism. This is so great. The world for him was a, quote, veil of fears. No, I'm sorry. Veil of tears. (laughs) Full of suffering. All happiness is an illusion. Life oscillates like a pendulum back and forth between the pain and boredom. (laughs) Each life history is a story of suffering, a continuing series of large and small accidents. I love the Germans. <laughs> I, I wonder if when they won the World Cup, if they all just went like, you know what, this is, we're just on the pendulum somewhere between. Right. That's the point of being excited. We're all going to die anyway. Right. No, they're, they're, I mean, what is it about Germany? Jesus, Jesus Christ. I mean, they're beautiful people. They got a beautiful land, and they just they are just Fucking unhappy. Bummers, right? Right, and also, you know, I don't trust any one given philosopher because everybody's got their own chemical makeup. And, you know, some people uh, are fucking happy people. That's the other thing this book, Happier, talks about is that you, you're, the roadmap for your happiness is about 50% of, if not more, of what you'll actually feel. Well, 50% is DNA, 25% is events that have happened in your life, such as, um, you know, uh, hitting the lottery, like actual events, and 25% is actually in your control. Wow. Choices, going to therapy, exercising. Actively, actively working towards. working on, meditating. That's only 25%. Yes. Do you, do you meditate? Do you actively control your mind? I've had, I swear to God, a dozen people on my <laughs> podcast the last six months that do TM, and they all are it. extolling it, and I'm like, why am I not doing this? Because it's, cause it's a human to not do the things you, you should do. It? do. I do. I don't do TM because I've read enough about it to know it's a bit of a fraud, the system of it. like Oh, the whole 2500 bucks to get a word? Right. Why yeah, would I'm, I I'm do that? I'm not in on that. I'm but not I, doing that. It's fucking bullshit. But what I, I do meditate, and it's helped me through many, many, many How'd situations. How'd you learn to uh, meditate? I read a bunch of books on it, basically. Mm. <laughs> and um, I listened to... Well, this is so embarrassing. I don't care. I listened to wackadoodle self-help things. Like um, Louise Hay, I don't know if you've heard of her on Hay House Radio. It's it's an internet radio station, HayHouseRadio.com, and there's all these nutbags that have their radio shows. Some of them are great, some of them are bullshit. Um, but Louise Hay talks about it, and also like positive affirmations, which is another school of happiness where you can actively, like let's say you feel, oh, I feel tired and shitty today. Instead you would go, I feel vibrant and alive today. And you can actually talk yourself now that that if you're not chemically, you know, depre- if you're not like of sincerely not wired to be that way person, right? Uh, but yeah, I well, learned. That's why I like books. Maria Bamford because she is just chemically depressed. Yes, and she her act is a lot about making fun of the people that yeah. come to you and go, you know what? Just yeah. turn that frown <laughs> yeah. upside down. Like all this advice just <laughs> yeah. falls on deaf ears. Cause if you yeah. have depression, it there is matter. nothing anybody can do that can help you. No, you're fucked. You're just, you're not, you're not fucked, but you're, you're in a different, it's not for you. Positive information is not. And leaning, you know, reaching out to other people when you really have depression, it just, it doesn't help and you're not able to do it. And so it almost makes it worse. Like you just have to isolate mm-hmm. and then you have to say, you have to let go into it, is what most people say, mm-hmm. is you have to say, I'm going to feel depressed. Oh, I'm going to yeah. allow it to happen, and then I'm going to come out the other side. 
I get scared because I, I, my thing is I get afraid of the sadness and the depression because I'm afraid I will never get out of it because I've been so depressed in my teenage years. Right. Well, you have to read Darkness Visible by William okay. Styron. Writing it down. On the Pulitzer Prize. Darkness Visible. He talks about that's the thing about depression is you, no matter how long you've been in it, you feel like it's going to last forever. And that's the worst part about yeah. depression. Yeah. Why is time and space just non-existent when you're depressed? When you're depressed, it feels like you will never be normal again. Mm. Like, oh, I'm just going to be this way forever. Mm. I'm going to read Sylvia Plath. Um, but the meditation thing, I can give you a book if you're interested on your way out. Well, I talked to, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Cordry's brother, Rob Cordry's brother. I'm so embarrassed. Jim Cordry? No. Rick? Steve? Nathan. George? Nathan? So embarrassed. I just interviewed him and I'm Samson. blocking his name. But anyway, he um he said there's a TM you can do that uh that the guy left the TM camp because of the whole Hollywood aspect and he did a there's a simpler way you can do it. So I got that guy's number. That's great. There yeah, they give you a word or a statement, but you can basically meditate. All it is, you sit the fuck down. You go, Nate Cordry. Sorry. Nate Cordry. Okay. You can sit down anywhere as long as there's quiet, no distractions. And you can say a mantra. You can say the Hare Krishna. You can say one word. Because in TM, they give you one a word, mantra, I'm assuming, mm. right? And you just say it over and over. It's impossible to stop the mind. But what you can do is slow the mind down enough so that you can separate yourself from your thoughts. That's the whole premise. Is to, do you to think that if your them. word was Hitler, you could actually be happy by saying it enough times? Hitler. Until it lost its Hitler. meaning? Yeah, absolutely. Hitler could be your... I'll, hey, Hitler's your mantra. And then you, you open your eyes and there's like 10 skinheads <laughs> standing around you waiting for orders. <laughs> I've manifested this. Um, it's funny you mentioned that book, Happiness, because I pulled one to... Uh, this is the Positive Psychology thing we're talking about right now the whole affirmations and crap uh sonia liberamer lemnovsky oh boy i thought my last name sucked lio bermisky i don't know happiness researchers she's a professor and she wrote the bestseller the how of happiness now her statistics are slightly different than the guy's statistics you were talking about well she's german or whatever no Different country, Ski. different stats. It's disgusting. It's a Polak. Hungarian, one hundred percent unhappiness. Oh, for sure. My my genetics are doomed. Mm. I have the DNA. Do you know that Hungary, first of all, had the highest suicide rate in the world during communism? Uh, where the most, just the worst. They, in fact, in my household growing up, just culturally, if you were happy, if you were like, oh my god, I'm so excited, they they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like it's they would kill you. They would murder you mm-hmm. and let you bleed out. Now, the, but the uh, it's frowned upon to be openly happy in yeah. Hungary. It's like, what are you stupid? It's like people assume you're an idiot. Yeah, if you're if you're happy, much like in England too. I think they're very much opposed to anti-intellectual. Oh, that that must be it. Yes, yeah, but it's yeah okay. That's not true though. I mean, really, really happy people being stupid. Do you buy that? Um. I think more intelligent people are less happy because I think like, you know, when you really get into the existential side of life, when you oh, really man. like uh, get into it, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty bleak. And the more you are educated and read the newspaper about the world, I think the the worse it is. Dumb people, I mean, they think that 
comedians, almost every comedian is funny, like dumb comedian. They can watch sitcoms <laughs> and I laugh can't. at them. Oh, my God. Can, do you, can you even watch a sitcom? Do you think you can? Cannot watch a sitcom. That's horrible. Mm. It's the worst. It's the worst. Okay, hold on. So here's the statistics this broad had. Uh, current state of research, 50% of a given human's happiness level is genetically determined. That's 50%. That's what I said. That's that guy, yeah. About 10% of happiness is affected by external living conditions. External living conditions. That, that Like where you were born. Right. How many kids in your family. Okay. 10% by that. Mm. 40% of happiness can be influenced by the mind of a person. So she gives 40%. How much is your guys on that? Well, yeah, guess who's selling a book on how to be happy? <laughs> she's, she's tweaking the numbers a little bit for well, sales. What was your guys' number? 25. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on, 40%, man. You want to be happy or not? Buy the fucking book. She says the secret of lasting happiness is to turn our attention mainly to that 40% and constantly maintain our inner happiness. Now, see, this is where I get, this is where the Pharrell song got me to. It's the self-help movement, which I love. I, listen, I, I watch Oprah's Super Soul Sundays. Do I read Deepak, Deepak Chopra? Absolutely. Eckhart Tolle. I love all of this love new, new age shit. I'm on board, all mm. right? But the idea of constantly maintaining your inner happiness is is such an act of lunacy to me. It's such crap. I mean, some of my most rewarding times are I go dark and I read <laughs> a dark book for like four hours and I come out of it and I feel alive and I yeah. feel real and I feel gratified. Um, you know, taking a walk when I'm really down or being angry, losing my shit mm-hmm. in anger and almost getting in a fight. There's a part of me, I discharge a bunch of toxins and energy that were stored up in me that are out, crying hysterically. Mm. When I'm done, I feel like I just had three orgasms and worked out and got a massage. It's, it's you know, so constant happiness is the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard. Yes, and they, they'll say things in a self-help movement like, you don't, don't think those negative thoughts because you'll attract the bad to mm. you. And it's so counter nature of a human being to i must repel the bad thoughts but unlike you and i admire that that you're able to feel anger or cry like i'm still afraid of my feelings which is why i drink When's the last time you cried i don't know i i, I do it when i see something on television mm. dog things will get me like someone's abusing animals or something mm. oh man that really i think that's what it was something on the internet about it they found a dog that was under a house for a year the owners had or like left Super Bowl it. commercials. No, there's always like a dog who's getting flung through the air <laughs> or dragged by a car. <laughs> no, there's a bunch of guys with a keg and they pump it, and the dog gets, <laughs> gets, the, gets beer pumped up his ass. <laughs> but that's a commercial for. Oh, you don't watch Miller? the commercials of the Super Bowl? I, I, I'm repelled yeah. by football. Right. I can't do it. I don't get it. So dogs, I always think that that's a real sign of, uh, of uh, you know, inability to feel human emotions is when people <laughs> love animals too much. So it's like people like Bill Maher, and it's like, wait a minute, you're raising money for cats. Oh, I'm totally that person. Yeah. I have become that person. I wasn't that person until I got Theo. I don't really like other people's babies. Don't fucking show me your baby pictures on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about your baby. You show me a, a picture of your dog. I love that. Yeah, I love that's sad dogs. to me. Yeah, of course it's sad. It's it's, it's not healthy. I'm sure mm. it's not good. Yeah, but hey, it's where I am. How can we only show pictures of our kids? We never show pictures of our parents to other people. <laughs> I 
Like, look at this one. I just took this one last week. Look, he's <laughs> eating an ice cream. I know. Do you like your parents? My dad's been dead for 25 years. Did you like him? I loved him, but I hated him, too. Mm. My mom, I mean, I don't know where to start. I love her a lot, but she's exhausting, you know? And that's why you isolate, probably. I think a lot of the mind is just chemical. Yeah, well, that too. Mm. I definitely will fucking do it. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Your chemicals are the meat. It's the meat. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of my brain is that way. Well, do you take medication? No. Well, if it's chemical, maybe you should throw, throw a couple pills on it. See what happens. Mm. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid because I've heard Maria Bamford talk about it. How it really. Ch- what are you doing? Are you a professional? My timer just went off. Okay, we'll wrap this up. I don't know if I want to alter myself that much. We'll see. Wow. Yeah, I th- I could see how you want to hang on to this. Uh, the ugly. Yeah. This, uh, this really <laughs> euphoric state you've gotten yourself into. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. The happiness. But you drink. Yeah, for sure. Every night. Yeah. But that's a depressant. Yeah, it makes me really happy, though. It makes the, you know, quiets the mind. Okay. It's just like meditation. That's so what escape. I tell myself. Oh, yeah. You don't drink? It's, no, I quit like 20 years ago. Oh. Is, is meditation an escape or is it getting in tune with? It's both. It's, a, it's an escape from your dog thoughts, like you're racing. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it separates you from your thoughts. It gives you the ability to go, oh, that's a silly thought. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's an anger thought. That's a fear thought. That's an anxiety mm-hmm. thought. And to realize that they're just thoughts. They're just the ticker tape of your bullshit. Yeah, Eckhart Tolle talks about that. That's what's up. Yeah. I highly recommend that book, uh, A New Earth. The Power of Now, I couldn't really get it. It was too dense. Which one did you get? Get the audio book. Yeah. Listen to his audio book. Don't you love his hobbit little voice? Yeah. His little vests and everything? All right. Well, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. I, I love sitting down and talking to you. This oh, is really fun. You're so smart and you're so funny. Uh, check out Greg's podcast, uh, Fitz Dog Radio. Where is that? Was that on Howard? It's on fucking... No, I have, a, I have a radio show on Howard on Sirius XM on Mondays. And then, uh, yeah, the podcast is twice a week on iTunes or FitzDog.com. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, you know, stolen and pirated on many sites for some mm. reason. I don't know mm. why they do that, but... I don't know why they do that either. Yeah. Uh, check out his new hour special, Life on Stage, on Netflix. Netflix. And, uh, yeah, thanks, dude. Thank you. It's been deep, bro. Thanks for not drinking during the podcast. <laughs> I will after this when you leave.